Amen. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word this morning. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you in this Advent season as we do turn our eyes in that direction, as we, as we do every day, as we seek to do all of our lives. But God, as we think and meditate on the incarnation, the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, we turn our eyes there to see hope, joy, love, peace, salvation. We turn there to see who you are. We turn there to see what you meant for us to be. And God, as we try to explore these things together, we pray that your spirit would speak. That you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today as we open your word, God, that you would lead us where you want us to go. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we begin this morning, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to get into a passage in Isaiah chapter 9 that is very familiar, but we don't usually start where this kind of passage starts a little bit. And it's going to talk about consulting mediums and spiritists and things, but it's kind of put it in your mind just the ways that we try to find hope and life everywhere but God and what Jesus truly came to do for us. And that Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, it says this. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fear and gloom, and they will never, or they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Light has come into the world. 
Sin has been overcome. Death has been defeated. The child is born to bring us life. God is good and he is here. We have hope. This morning is the first Sunday of the Advent season, the time that we prepare for and remember the incredible miracle of the incarnation, God becoming human, the infinite, eternal, all-powerful, all-present creator of the universe being born as a baby in a stable. It's the most incredible, amazing, impossible, exciting thing that God has done. He came here to be with us, to live with us, to reveal himself to us, and to die for us. Jesus is God, and he became a man because he loves us. Our theme this year has been yesterday, today, and forever, and we've been trying to see and understand the faithfulness and consistency of God that through all time, through all ages, through history, and now here in the present and forever, God is the same. He is love. He is life. He is truth and hope and justice and mercy, and his message is the same. He is God, his will is good, his nature is good, his mission and his plans are good, and he desires good for us, that we would know him and live with him, that we would turn to him and follow him. God loves us and he created us in his very image for himself, that we could glorify and enjoy him forever. That's what he wanted. That's what he created us to have, to be. But we didn't think that was enough. We wanted more. We wanted to be like God, and we chose ourselves over him. And in that moment, we became separated from him forever. Sin entered the world, entered us, and everything changed. And where there was life, now there was death. Where there was relationship, now there was selfishness, insecurity, fear, and hurt. Where there was peace, now there was pain. And so, God promised us a savior, a deliverer, one who would fix it all, the Messiah, to save us all. From the very beginning, God knew what would happen, and he had a plan. No matter how broken and chaotic and painful the world might be, God always has been and always will be in perfect and complete control, and he has proven it over and over again. He allows us to choose, even to choose sin, but nothing stands in his way. And he is bringing all things to their perfect and proper end to himself. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God prophesied his coming from the beginning. So that we would know that he is here. 
So that's what we're going to be exploring this Advent season. The prophecies, the promises that God made to us about Jesus, about the Messiah, that he knew from the beginning exactly what he was doing. And everything that he was going to do. That Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that God had intended. Exactly as he intended. To show us the depth of his love for us. As we meditate this year on the faithfulness of God. On his unchanging nature. We're going to look at how he is faithful to his promises. And what that means for his work in the world for us today. We're going to look at the prophecies of what Jesus' ministry would look like. God knew everything he would do. We're going to look at the prophecies of his death and resurrection. God knew what he needed to do. We're going to look at the prophecies of his role in the church at what God is doing now. And we're going to look at the prophecies of how God will bring all things to their appropriate conclusion. What he will do. God has told us from the beginning what he was going to do. And as we see those prophecies fulfilled, the things that he has done, we can know and trust in what he is doing and what he will do. And this morning we're going to look at the prophecies that God gave us about the birth of Jesus. The things that God told us thousands of years even before they would ever happen. About the coming Messiah. That his people would know. That they would be able to see. That they would have hope. As they walked through slavery and war and famine and hardship. That God was in control. That he had a plan for them and for everyone. Over the years, I've encountered people, Pastor Scott and I were talking about this this week, we've encountered people who try to apply math and probability to Scripture, to prophecy. Maybe you've encountered some of these things as well, where what are the odds of one person fulfilling all of these prophecies? And their intent is to try to communicate just how unique and special Jesus truly is, how intentional God was, how impossible it is for him to be the Messiah by accident, how miraculous and wonderful he is. And they calculate these ludicrously huge numbers. There are over 400, between four and 500 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, about what he would be, what, what he would be like, what he would do, where he would be born, how he would be born all kinds of things and they look at the odds of these different things happening in the life of any particular person and what it means for someone to fulfill all of these different things and they come to different conclusions but numbers like one out of 10 to the power of 50 a one followed by 50 zeros spectacular numbers and it sounds really impressive but I mean I also kind of find it more than a little amusing because how do you use math to calculate a miracle? What does that even mean? What are the odds of the incarnation of God becoming human? What are the odds of Jesus walking on water? What does that mean? 
And so on one level, it's kind of a silly exercise because these are not scientific or mathematical things. Prophecy doesn't work in numbers. But it does communicate something meaningful. These individuals are they're trying to capture the intentionality of God. To show us just how purposeful God was with his words. And with his plan. Just how powerful he truly is. That he knows from the very beginning of time exactly what he is doing. And will accomplish exactly what he means to. From the very beginning, God promised us a Savior. Right there in the garden, at the moment of our fall, even in the midst of anger and grief over what had been done, God gave us hope. He says to the serpent, Cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. From the garden God told us there would be one who would come to save us. To crush the head of this serpent. The sin and death that had come into the world. Defeating them and bringing us hope and life. God promised us Jesus. And over the years that followed, he told us more. He gave us clues, hints, prophecies about who this person would be and where he would come from. And about his birth, God foretold all kinds of things. He started by telling us just what family Jesus would be born from. He spoke to Abraham when he called him out from among all people. And he told him that even in his old age, when it was impossible for him to have children, that he would have a son. And that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And that all nations on earth would be blessed through Abraham's lineage. In Genesis 12, God says, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then, a couple thousand years later, in Acts chapter 3, he says, And you are heirs of the prophets, and of the covenant God made with your fathers. God said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Jesus is the blessing of the lineage of Abraham for the whole world. God renewed his covenant with Isaac and made a covenant with Isaac's ancestors. In Genesis 17, he said, Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And then Paul says in Romans 9, Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. God knew exactly how the line would move through these families. Again, God prophesied that the nations would be blessed through Jacob's offspring, not Esau's. 
Genesis 28, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. And there is Jacob listed in Jesus' genealogy in Luke chapter 3. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor. God prophesied that the scepter will come through Judah. Not through any of the other rulers or children. And that Judah's child would rule over all. In Genesis 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of nations shall be his. And again, Judah is listed in Jesus' genealogy in Luke 3. The son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. And then, God promised that it would be through David's offspring. That the Messiah would come, that his descendant would rule eternally. In 2 Samuel, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house in my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And Jesus' genealogy is even listed as of David. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God had planned the coming of the Messiah generations before and he had promised Abraham that it would be through his family that the world would be saved. And he knew exactly through which person in each generation that line would continue. And he told them. Each of these people had multiple children. It's a huge family tree. And God traced the line beforehand through each branch leading to Jesus. Just as he prophesied. But it's not just his lineage. God prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah 7, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And a thousand years later in Luke 1, Mary asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. God told them that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, he says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. We all know the story in Matthew 2 when Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then God knew 
that this child would go to Egypt and come out from there again. In Hosea 11, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And all these hundreds of years later, there it is. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Over and over and over again, God shows us how he is in control. Who he would use to bring the Messiah into the world. Promising the family of Abraham and the nation of Israel that they were God's chosen instrument of salvation. Tracing the line through specific people, through each generation, knowing exactly who it would be. That through them, the Messiah would come. The miraculous way he would be conceived and born. Where the Savior would be born. And that he would flee to Egypt because it was from there that God would call him out. Just as he called his people out from under Pharaoh's rule. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies that God gave us about his Son. He is the fulfillment of the promise that God would save us. Jesus is the one who came to crush sin and death just like God told us in the beginning. And he shows us that the things that God says are trustworthy and true always and forever. God has a plan. And he cares about the details. He gave us great detail about who and what Jesus would be about his birth. So that we would know him. And that we would trust him. And this Christmas as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Meditate on these prophecies. See the faithfulness of God. The power of God, the detail and care that he showed as he prepared us for his son. And know that he cares the same for you. You are known. You are loved. He has a plan and a purpose, a mission and a vision and he is inviting you to experience it too. With him. Here, now, today. And forever. Jesus was born just as God planned. His word is true. And he is speaking to you. Let's hear and let's be ready to follow. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we say thank you. We say thank you that you are faithful. We say thank you that you are powerful. We say thank you that you see and know and understand these things so far in the future. God, we get hung up on the future all the time. We worry about the details of tomorrow and next week and the rest of our lives and how it's all going to come together. And God, you already know. You already see. 
And God, while you don't give us prophecies about our own lives in every detail of all these things, God, we see how you have worked. We see what you have said. And we can know, God, that you are trustworthy to lead us. God, we thank you for these prophecies, for the words that you have spoken through these people. That we can know and understand that you are in control and that we can trust you here now today. Father God, as we meditate on the birth of Jesus and the ways that you've prepared the world for him, help us to trust you now, to follow you now, to go where you are leading us and to do the things that you are putting in front of us, to share your love and hope and gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.